Amen. Everybody can go ahead and, uh, and take your seats. Hey, do want to let you guys know that uh, uh, we do have a new faith comes from hearing that came out today. Um, uh, for, for the next four weeks, we'll be reading the Gospel of Mark with a bunch of Psalms. And, and, and there's nothing, there's no substitute for reading the Bible. Uh, part of that PBJ, right, and growing close to God. I, I almost took this off my little, my little table here, but and I, I couldn't take Jesus off the table, right? Because he, he, in the PBJ, it's Jesus, right? And we're a church that's about Jesus, right? About connecting to Jesus and then helping others by praying for one, helping them connect to Jesus Christ as well. Hey, a couple of verses to get us going this morning. First is from Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and that they would be the, the men who had arrested them, the religious leaders, and realized that they were unschooled, unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And here's the point. Um, God uses ordinary people. God uses, a, uses ordinary people who have been with Jesus and who are hanging out with Jesus to do amazing things and to advance his kingdom. Amen? Ephesians 2.12, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And, and brothers and sisters, here's, the, here, here's what's true this morning. And, and it doesn't matter you know, how you feel about yourself. It doesn't matter what other people say about you. Here's the truth about you, okay? You are God's masterpiece. And God has created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do these good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. You're his masterpiece. Now, last Sunday, uh, we kicked off our 2016 summer series, Heroes, uh, amazing stories of faith. And each week what we're going to do is we're going we're to unpack the, the story of a biblical hero and, and we're going to see what he or she teaches us uh, about uh, being used by God uh, and what he or she teaches us about moving forward in our faith journey. And last week we talked about Noah, a dad who saved his family. And remember, dads who saved their families and people who are used by God for that matter but dads who save their families, um, number one, they make themselves available. Uh, number two, they, under, they understand the, the dangers, the dangers of living in a falling, broken, evil world, the dangers of living in a way that is against God. Um, dads who save their families, they, they also dare to be different. They're different than the world. They think differently. They speak differently. They, they value differently than the world. Uh, dads who save their families, they, they walk with God, they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and dads who save their families, they, they never give up. Even though they get knocked down, right? Even though the world beats them down, those dads get back up and become the dad uh, that their Lord and Savior wants them to be. And it was a, it was a great Sunday. I mean, you know, I, I love seeing a bunch of dads who came up front and, and they knelt up here. I got a shot from first service, I didn't get second service, but dads saying, hey, you know what? I, I want to be a better dad. I, I, I want to be a dad who, who saves my family. Powerful moment, you know, uh, only to be topped off by the opportunity I had to uh, baptize Laurie's one into Christ, John Falwell, last week, which was so awesome. And, and, and guys, keep praying for one, right? You know, that, that, that we got to keep doing that, 
right? We all know lost people, right? We got to, Lord, give me one person to share your love with today. Pray that every day and throughout the day, God will answer that prayer. Now, the hero we're going to look at this morning, he's very familiar. He's one of the great leaders of the Old Testament. He actually wrote the first five books of the Bible, which are what? Anybody know them? Everybody, on three, let's do it together, on three. Genesis. Genesis. Woo! <laughs> Today's conversation is about Moses, and I'm calling this morning's conversation, Moses called to be a deliverer. Now, Moses' life could be divided up into three parts or three acts, and each act is about 40 years, act one. Now, now, if you know Moses' story, you know that he was fortunate even to be alive. You see, at the time of his birth, the Israelites were, were living in Egypt. Remember, Jacob, Abraham's grandson, as the book of Genesis closes, brings his entire family, about 80 people in all, into Egypt to survive a famine that was sweeping across the world. And since Jacob's son, Joseph, was like the number two guy in all of Egypt, they were welcome and honored guests. However, we read the following in Exodus chapter 1. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in number, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. Okay, so Pharaoh, he's, a, he's afraid of God's people, and so he enslaves them and, and tries to crush them with a heavy burden, making their lives bitter. You know, and I, I think slavery has to be like one of the, the worst scars on the human race ever, right, to, to treat a human being like a piece of property, right? To use for your pleasure, to use for labor is, is horrific. And, and some people say that today there are more slaves in our world today, some numbers like 40 million, right, than any time in human history. And so the Pharaoh is oppressing them, and, but the more he oppressed them, the more they multiplied. So he rolls out plan B, which was whenever there was a baby born, if the baby happened to be a boy, it was thrown into the Nile River and was killed. What, what, a, what a brutal plan. What a hateful man. I understand when, when, when God sees a helpless child whose life is in danger, God says, I need to protect that child because life is precious. And who knows, this may be the child that I, I raise up to save a nation. When the enemy sees a helpless baby, he says, kill it, get rid of it. You see, he hates life. And he's afraid that that baby may grow up to be the next Mother Teresa or the next Martin Luther King Jr. And listen, just as this cruel plan was born, a, a couple from the tribe of Levi have their third child. They already have a three-year-old son named Aaron, a 10-year-old girl named Miriam. And, and Moses' parents give birth to him. And, and they were godly people, and there's no way they were going to obey the king's decree and so they hid Moses for three months, and it was a great act of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, the hero chapter of the Bible says this, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, 
because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. But eventually his size and sounds made it impossible for him to be hidden any longer. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 3, we read, But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch so it would float. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Now imagine what that was like for Moses' mom, Jochebed. But understand, Jochebed was a, a, a very wise and a very faithful woman, and she had a plan. You know, she, she, she knows where the Pharaoh's daughter takes her bath, and so she floats it that way, and she has her daughter Miriam follow the basket along the riverbank. And then we read, And Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her tenants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, <laughs> this happened to be there, asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? you know, I wonder who she's thinking of. Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. I mean, the same mother who just got the basket, coated it, and put it in the river, goes back and gets Jochebed. And Pharaoh's daughter says to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Now, how cool and how God is that? That's like that Ephesians 3.20 stuff, you know. Now, I think that's more than she imagined. You know, she thought, hey, maybe Pharaoh's daughter will take pity in, on my child. But not only that, God said, no, I'm going I'm to give them right back to you the very same day. And you know those bills you had problems paying? Guess what? Pharaoh's going to pay those household bills for you. We were in Exodus 2, 5 through 10. When the child grew older, that could be anywhere between 3 and 12, according to that Hebrew word, uh, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him up out of the water. Again, she finds him at some point. You know, she brings him home um, to her dad, and like a lot of daughters, she was able to use her big brown eyes and say, Daddy, please, can I keep him, Daddy? Please, can I just keep him? And he says, Sure. I mean, what harm could one little Hebrew toddler do anyway? Is that awesome? <laughs> I mean, Pharaoh bringing into his own family the very one that God would use to cripple his empire. In Acts 7, verse 22, that's part of Stephen's sermon. Uh, Stephen said that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, in language, in writing, in science, in math, architecture, leadership, military strategies, and was powerful in speech and in action. Now, Acts 1 of Moses' story ends this way. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, one of his own people, looking this way and that. You ever do that? Get ready to do something wrong? Hey, anybody see me? This is okay. And seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? That Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. Act 2. Now, there's not a whole lot of ink devoted to Act 2. Just, just, just 10 verses to document 40 years. 
40 years where Moses goes from the palace to the wilderness, from prince of Egypt to tender of sheep. I mean, talk about a tanking life story, right? Rejected by his own people, a murderer, a man with a price on his head, a fugitive, a a runaway, living in the barren wilderness. However, some good things did happen in the wilderness. He he, he meets a lady, gets married, has a, a couple of children, and really gets a phenomenal father-in-law in the deal by the name of Jethro. And listen, even while in the wilderness, God was working his plan and preparing Moses for the greatest work of his life. Even when he's in the wilderness, God was still working the plan and preparing Moses for the greatest work of his life. Get it? Good. And that's often how our God rolls. And here's a point. If If you find yourself in the wilderness this morning, if your life at this moment seems to be dry, dusty, hot, barren, and lifeless, understand God still reigns, God is still sovereign, and God is still at work, even if you can't see it, and that Romans 8, 28 is still true. And we know, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. He's not saying everything is good, right? Because some things are not good. They're terrible. They're awful. They're painful. They're heartbreaking. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and keep loving God and are called according to his purpose for them. They love God and they keep trying to live for God. That's why the wilderness, like James says in James chapter 1, is actually many times a cause for joy. It's like, yeah, you know, I, I wonder... What the sovereign king who reigns is going to do with the mess that I'm holding in my hands right now. What's he up to? Because I know he's up to something. Because he always is. Because that's who he is. Now for Act 3 of Moses' life. And this gets a ton of ink. Exodus 3 to Deuteronomy chapter 34. 137 verses in all. As this act opens up, Moses has been tending sheep for 14,000 days. Think about that. 14,000 days of desert heat, desert sun, and stinky, stinking, smelly, dirty sheep. I mean, every day was like the last day. Hot, 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 sand, 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 sun, 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 meh, meh, meh. I mean, the guy is just counting the days to the closing chapters of his life. When is this thing going to be over? Uh, that hourglass, come on. You know, sands move quicker. Nothing's going to happen here. But little did Moses know that he was tending sheep in God's neighborhood and that he was about to be invited to play a major role in God's plan of deliverance. And that by the time the sun set that day, that everything in his life would be different. Understand, we never know. We never know what our God is fixing to do, do we? That's why I love that phrase, never quit on six, right? Never quit on six. If Joshua and them walking around Jericho had quit on the sixth time marching around, those walls would never have fallen. Never quit on six, because we don't know, right? We don't know how close seven is. I mean, this may be the week, or this may be the month, or, or this may be the year that, that all the things you've been dreaming and hoping that God would do in and through your life that this could be the time that it could actually happen. Amen? 
Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and, his, and he led his flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and did not burn up. So he thought, this is crazy. Like, like that is so cool. I've never seen anything like that. I got to go over and get a closer look. Why is that not burning up? When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Yeah. Sometimes people like to do that. I've seen worship leaders do that. Sometimes Jordan does that, right? You know, Emily does that. It's not because they don't necessarily like shoes. You know, it's, it's an act of worship. Sometimes in prayer, I take my shoes off right, as an act of worship, taking off the junk of this world right, and, and shedding it right, because the place we're standing in God's presence is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I love that. Listen, we serve a God who's a God who brings us up out of that whatever that is, right? He brings us up out of the stuff, out of the junk, out of the things that hold us back and beat us down. He brings us up out of that into a good and spacious land, into a new and better place. He's a God who brings us up out of that and into something good. I've seen, I've heard, I'm concerned, I'm coming down, I'm going to do something about this. Understand, God's mind is set, his plan was in motion, failure was not an option. It never is with God, never. Nothing would stop him, nothing would stand in his way, his people would be delivered. Mark it down, it was going to happen, the redemption mission would go on as scheduled. Amen? And Moses is thinking, awesome. Awesome, I'm so glad. Man, I'm glad you're coming to intervene, God. I'm glad you're finally about to do something about this. This is horrible. I know I'm not living there anymore, but it's horrible what those people are going through. You ever think about that, something in the world? Someone's got to do something, God. God, you got to do something. You know, I'm so glad you're going to do it. And right now he's feeling pretty good. But then God's about to say something that's going to make Moses a little bit anxious. God says, so glad you're happy about this, Moses. So now, Moses, go. I'm sending you. Yeah, that problem you've been seeing in the world that's breaking your heart. Yeah, I put that break there, and now I want you to go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses says to God, who am I? Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, I think what was going through Moses' mind are the same kind of thoughts that race through my mind and yours whenever God calls us to do something or to believe something that, 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 that seems beyond our abilities. God, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? God, God, God you don't really think I can pull this off? And God's like, no, I don't. <laughs> Actually, I don't think you can. 
Moses, I'm not counting on your skills or power. Moses, I'm going to do all the heavy lifting here. But Moses, I'm inviting you. I'm giving you an invitation to see if you want to join me in the work that I'm doing and delivering my people. I mean, notice that Moses, a guy didn't respond to Moses with a pep talk or send Moses to the center for, send him to the you can do it academy, right? You know, the pump of his self-esteem. Come on, Moses, believe in yourself. You can do this, Moses. No, he, he answers Moses with five life-shifting words. I will be with you. The God who breathes out stars. The God who holds oceans in the palm of his hands. The God who was and is and always will be. Will be with you. And when I get that, and you get that, it changes everything. As if God is saying to Moses, Moses, don't worry about who you are. Just focus on the reality that I'm going with you. And Moses, if I go with you, everything will be okay. Not always easy, sometimes uphill, sometimes bumpy, sometimes difficult, sometimes scary, but it'll work out fine. See, the truth is, God in anybody is an overwhelming majority. Get it? Good. God in anybody is an overwhelming majority, is an unstoppable team. Moses is still not convinced. Moses said to God, suppose I got Israelites, say to them, God, your fathers have sent me to you, and they asked me, uh, what is his name? I don't know your name. Please don't tell me your name, because I want this excuse, because I like it. Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Notice God did not say my name is I was, or that my name is I will be. He says, I am has sent me to you. I am. That's because God is all present. If you go back a thousand years, 10,000 years, God is there. You go forward in the future, 10,000 years, God is there. He's already there. There's no place where God is not. If that blows your mind, it's supposed to, right? If you can understand God, then you got a really puny God. I don't understand him. He has no beginning and he has no end. He can never learn anything new because he already knows everything. He's never taken by surprise. There's nothing that anyone can ever do to prevent God from doing the things that he desires. He reigns, he's sovereign, he's in complete control over everything in every domain. Amen? Amen. And see, God knew that it was imperative for Moses to know who he was, who God was, that he was I am. I am is the present tense active form of the word to be. And as God's name, it declares that God is unchanging, constant, unending, always present, always good, always great, always God. You see, God was telling Moses and all of God's people from that point forward, including me and you, this, I am, is my eternal name. My name to what? To remember. For all generations, I am. I am 
the center of everything. I am running the show. I am all-powerful. I am in control. I am all-knowing. I am the Savior. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the owner of everything. I am the Lord. I am the creator and sustainer of life. I am more than enough. I am inexhaustible, and I am immeasurable. I am God. Now, even after God's big reveal, move that bus. Most still tried, tries to weasel out on what God's called them to do. Are, are, are any weasels in here? What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? And God says, I'm going to give you some power. And he says, Moses, throw, throw your staff on the ground. It becomes a snake. God says, I was like, that's pretty cool. Uh, pick it up. Say again. <laughs> yeah, pick it up. Come back. He's like, I'd have a hard time picking up a snake. Snakes scare me. If you're a snake, you're dead, right? I don't like spiders and snakes, right? I, no, okay, I won't go back. That old song, okay? Um, but he picks it up. He comes to staff again. He says, Moses, stick your hand in your cloak. He does, and he pulls it out, and it's full of leprosy. So if they won't believe you then, go to the Nile and get some water. And the Egyptians saw the Nile as sacred. Get some of that water they see as sacred. Then pour that water in the ground, and it will become blood. And what God is doing, he's silencing Moses' arguments that he can't make a difference, that he can't convince people to follow him. Understand, when God calls, he always equips. Always. And that God never asks you and I to do anything without going with us. And that was true 3,400 years ago in the desert wilderness for Moses and that's true for us today. If God calls, he equips, and he always goes with. Amen? If he calls, he equips, and he always goes with. And I want you to notice that when Moses puts up all his excuses for the Lord, God never says, oh, Moses, you're so humble. I'm so encouraged by your humility. The Bible says that God was angry at him. You know why? Because Moses was not being humble. Who's been selfish? You see, many times insecurity is not humility. It's pride. It, it, it's too much focus on self. It's protecting self, right? Your pride has three phases. And, you know, it, pride pleases self, promotes self, and protects self. And all of pride, right? It's not just boasting is pride. Hey, look at me. It's also, oh, I got to protect myself because if I do this and fail, people will think less of me, right? Who's that about? That's, it's about me. I can't do this. I can't do that. I don't think I speak well enough. I don't think they'll listen to me. I'd rather not do this. Find someone else. I, 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 I. And I wonder how, if that made God angry to Moses, how does it make God feel when I do that? You know? Or when you do that. Right? God asks us to do something. Put it on our heart and we're like, I can't do that. <laughs> There's no way I can pull that off. I don't think I can do that. I'm not able to do that. But eventually something happens, happens and Moses changes. He gets it and becomes obedient. And he goes to Pharaoh, to the leader of Egypt, who had millions of Israelites in slavery, accompanied by the power of God. Understand, and you may want to write this one down. We'll never really see the power, we'll never really see the power of God in our lives until we obey the word of God in our lives. 
See, sometimes we're wondering, hey, why is God's power not moving in, in my life? It's because we are not obeying the word of God in our lives. Get it? Good. Some of you didn't want that one, right? I like this quote by Henry Blackaby. The Holy Spirit does not need to equip you for what you're not going to do. <laughs> so if you're in rebellion against Jesus and refusing his right to be Lord, he doesn't need to send the Spirit to equip you for service. And tragically, you'll miss out on the joy that he brings. So let the Holy Spirit deal with anything that's keeping you from obeying Christ. Now, most historians believe that since this is around 450 B.C., that the fur at the time is, is Tutmos, uh, Tutmos III, which many people believe would, would have been Moses' half-brother. So they grew up together in the palace. And now, 40 years later, Moses is 80. He's a shepherd, and he stands before the king, and he says to Pharaoh, he stands for the king, and he says to Pharaoh, the Lord says, let my people go. This is a powerful moment. It's Winston Churchill staring down Hitler and telling the parliament, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be, we shall never surrender. This is Martin Luther King Jr. standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial saying, now is the time to make real the promise of democracy. Now is the time to rise up from the dark and desolate valley of segregation and to walk in the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation out of the quicksand of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all God's children. I mean, it's a powerful moment. One man before a powerful leader. Let my people go. And Pharaoh says, don't think so. <laughs> Matter of fact, here's what I'm going to do. Now you got to get your own straw. We used to provide the straw for you. Now you got to have the same number of bricks, but you got to go gather your own straw. I'm going to make it harder on you. Moses walks out and you know what people say? Thanks a lot, Moses. <laughs> Thanks a lot, bud. Appreciate it. Way to go. Glad you're our leader. Woo! You know? I think we got some hanging chads, man. We're going to recount your vote. You're out. <laughs> you know, you made it harder on us, Moses. But Moses doesn't stop. He keeps going before Pharaoh. And, and sometimes Pharaoh's heart seems to soften, but then it hardens up again. Over a period of time, Moses displays God's power with plagues. First is now the blood, then, then the frogs. Frogs were everywhere. Yeah, the thing that always stuck out, maybe at that one, is that the frogs could have gone sooner. Like, if frogs are, like, everywhere, that'd be, like, a problem, right? You know, you open the refrigerator, they're there. You get in bed, they're there. You go to the bathroom, they're there. You know, jumping up at you, whatever. You know, you're in the shower, they're there. And, and, and he says, man, get these frogs out of here. But says, fine. Tell me when you want them to go. You name the time, Pharaoh, and they'll be gone. You know what he said? Tomorrow. What an idiot. Because of pride, right? Tomorrow. Man, you don't have to live with the frogs, right? right? They could go right now. And they swarm of flies, diseased livestock, bulls over their skin, hail, locusts, darkness. Crazy thing about the darkness is where God's people were, it was still light. After plague nine, Pharaoh says, Moses, if I see you again, I'm going to kill you. And Moses says, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son of Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who's at the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There'll be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than has ever been 
or ever will be again. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And the Bible says that Moses left. He was hot with anger. It's like, he's thinking, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this difficult. The people don't have to suffer like this. You could have just let them go, but you're too prideful. You could have just done what God asked, but now your whole nation has to pay for your stubborn pride. And the 10th plague happened. And the first born in Egypt, they all died. I mean, can you imagine what that was like? If you're the firstborn in your family, firstborn son, would you stand? All firstborn sons stand. If you're first, no matter what their age is, all firstborn sons. Firstborn sons. I think I see some not standing. Daniel son. <laughs> all right. You, you know, it, it, they'll be gone. You go good and sit down. Y'all be dead. I, I, I would lose my brother. I would lose my son, John. I, I, I would lose two of my grandsons. Micah and Zeb would be gone as well. I'm saying after these 10 plagues, everyone in the empire had seen the power of God and the foolishness of ignoring him. So this massive exodus begins. Pharaoh gives permission for these people to go, two to three million, to leave a life of slavery, to be led up out of Egypt into the land and life that God prepared for them. He led them by cloud by day, right, to keep the heat off. Fire by night, keep them warm. Sometime later, not long later, Pharaoh's like, hey, that's not such a good idea. <laughs> you know, we got work to do, and we just let all our free labor go. And I'm pretty mad at them to begin with. And so he went out after them, right? Yeah, which is what Satan does when we ever make a commitment to Christ, a recommitment or initial commitment, right? He doesn't want us to get too far out of Egypt, right? He's terrified that we would make roots in the promised land. So, man, you decide, hey, you know what? I'm going to be the dad I want to be, right? Last week, some dads. And guess what? He came after some dads last week. He came after your heart because he doesn't want you to be that. He knows if you get rooted in that, it's going to be harder to get you away. And so Pharaoh comes after them, 600 chariots. And we know the story, right? We know what Charlton Heston did, right? You know, parts of the Red Sea. God's people walk through on dry ground. The seas close and all of their enemies Every, everyone that held them in slavery is gone. And God's people are free. They're free at last. Great story. Now some quick truths that literally explode from the life of Moses. And, and, and these are truths that you and I need as well if we're to be the deliverers that God wants us to be. Number one, God sees and God cares. Question, are you going through a hard time right now? God sees, and God cares. Uh, turn to the person to your right and left and say, God sees, and God cares. You see, sometimes rescuers need to be what? Rescued. Sometimes deliverers need to be what? Need to be delivered, right? And so if you're going through a difficult time, I'm going to read what God spoke nearly 3,400 years ago through Moses, but, but see your story in it. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. He cares. He sees. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. 
and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God sees and God cares, but I don't know about you, has there been times in your life where you didn't know if you really believed that or not? Like, God, do you really see? Because either you can't see or what? You don't care. Because if you could see what I'm going through, you could see that we're in the Sea of Galilee, you're taking a stinking nap, and our boat's about to go under. Don't you care that we're going to drown? Anybody ever feel that way? I sure have. You know? That's why I love Isaiah 49 ever since I first heard it. But Zion said, the Lord has forgotten me. The Lord has forsaken me. God's like, no, I don't think so. Can the mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget. Like, well, I had a kid. I didn't know I had a child. (laughs) I'll not forget you. See, I engraved you in the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. And the walls in Jerusalem that time were broken down. What he's saying is, you know, the things that are broken in your life, God says, I see them every day. Every day I see what's in your life and what's not right. And I care and it hurts me. God sees and God cares because God loves. He loves us. I've loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I've drawn you to myself. You are loved by God. Man, there's no more important truth for you to embrace than that. Drilled home to me, the one move. That's it. That's it. It's all, I'm loved by God. That's, that's, I want to build my life on that. I want to believe that to the core of my being, that the God of the universe loves me, that nothing else matters. God sees, God cares, I am. Understand, for the cry, for every cry of the human heart, there is but one answer. I am. All right, that's the answer. Every cry of our heart, the answer is God. The answer is the everlasting one. And, and, and what I want to do right now and, and, and is I'm going to say a phrase, and when I pause, I, I want you to just say I am. And when we're saying that, we're declaring God's name, his everlasting name from generation to generation, the all-existing one. I need help. Okay, that, that, was, that was pitiful. If you're a guest, it's not your fault. I need help. I need hope. I need a fresh start. I need a reason to go on. This is way too big for me. My marriage is crashing. I don't know what to do. I can't hold on. Everything seems to be falling apart. Who can I really trust? I feel all alone and overwhelmed. I'm tired. I'm hurt. I'm worried. I'm afraid. I'll never get beyond this. I'll never break free of these chains that hold me back. I don't know how to change become who you want me to be. I can't. I can't. I can't. Amen. He is the answer. He is the answer to everything. He is the solution to everything. He really is. God calls. You see, just like in the days of Moses, God is looking across this community, where you live, where you work, where you go to school, where you do whatever, and he's looking across this world. And God sees their hurt. 
and the pain and the suffering. He, he hears the cries of the lost. He hears the cries of the weak and the broken. He hears the cries of the hungry and the thirsty, the lonely and the heartbroken. He hears the cries of the captive and the depressed. He, he, he hears the cries of the 45 million people who are in slavery right now. He, he, he hears the cries of the children who have been bought and sold around this world, having their innocence stolen. He hears the cries of the kids growing up in homes without a mom or a dad. He hears the cries of people who've been told their whole lives they're no good, they don't matter, they'll never amount to anything. And he cares. He cares. And he's called us as people to go. God says, go, I'm sending you to bring them up out of that. Bring them up out of that, out of that bondage, out of that captivity, out of that heartache. We may live in the happiest city in America or something like that, you know, you know, but, but I was hanging out with some guy down by Barracks Road and had my eyes opened <laughs> about, you know, there, there's some really hurting people, you know, you know that, that need to hear that God loves them, that he's always loved them. They're not an accident. They're not a mistake. That God has a plan for them. That their sin and their struggles and their heartbreak, it's not their identity. That's not who they are. They're made in the image of God, and God loves them, and God wants to rescue them. And he's counting on us, right? I mean, like he really is. God's always delivered through people. He's giving us this invitation. He goes, do you want to join me in this? You know, you can be sure I'm going to go with you. Yeah. I, I don't know if he's with us in some things we do as a church, right? Maybe some of our meetings God's checked out. I don't know I want to be there. Read the Old Testament. God says some meetings he said, I hate your meetings. I hate your worship. It's driving me crazy because you're not living like I want you to. But I guarantee you, if you say, God, I want to go where hurting people are, he says, man, you want to come with me? You want to go with me and make a difference in the lives of hurting people? That I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send? As a messenger to this people, who will go for us? You know, who will go and bring them up out of? Here I am. Send me. We really are the light of the world. Jesus wasn't kidding. We really are to be a city on the hill. We really are to have eyes of compassion, right? You know, that when we see people, right, we don't see them as idiots, right? Get your act together. How could you be so messed up? You know, yeah, I, I believe in personal responsibility, but there's a lot of people in our worldly community, they got the deck stacked against them. They're growing up in places and homes and environments where it's, it, it was hard. It, they had a lot of things to overcome just to get anywhere, right? And God wants us to see them with eyes of compassion. He, he's calling us to be a people that unleashes compassion on this world one person at a time. That's what pray for one is, Right? There's like a lot of people in the world. I, I tried to count them last week. I, 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 I couldn't, right? There's like billions, right? But God says, if every day we would do this, it would change the world, right? It would change our world. God, give me one person that I can share your love with today. And you go off to work. You go to the mall. 
You go in your neighborhood, wherever, and you just pray that prayer. And you say, Holy Spirit, you just guide me. One person. That's all it takes. One person, the one person, the one person, the one person. We unleash his compassion. God is calling us to be a church that makes a difference for him. God wants our community, he wants where you work, where you live, where you go to school to be a better place because you're there, right? Because you're there. Because you're there. He wants to be better just because you're there. He's calling us to be a church that actively and continually lets this world know that our God is alive and well, that his kingdom is here, that they are loved, that they have value, and that they've been invited to be a member of God's family and to join him in the family business of deliverance. God calls, God delivers. And and this will go fairly quick, but still good. See, See, God loves to deliver people from where they are to where he wants them to be. God delivers people from slavery to, to freedom. I mean, God hates oppression and injustice. He hates it. You know, uh, that's why it's great to support things like Rafa House, right, in Cambodia, right? When we're down in the Dominican Republic, we're going to have the opportunity uh, to work some with um, IJM, International Justice Mission. We're going to meet some kids as young as five, right, that have been rescued, right, right? You know, God hates oppression. God hates slavery, right? You know, God can free people from slavery. And we got to be honest, sometimes the things that hold us as slaves are sin, right? Sin can be our master. And sin can be a very cruel slave master, but God can deliver us from that. Moses was kind of a a slave to his fear and to his insecurity. That almost held him back. I mean, what's holding you back? What are you a slave to? And and do you believe that God has the power to break those chains? God delivers from despair to hope. His deliverance gives us freedom now, but it gives us hope for the future. You, You see, I know how my story ends. And Steve will live happily ever after, right? It's not true in fairy tales. It's not true in this world, but it's true for me, and it's true for every Jesus follower. We will live happily ever after and after and after and after and after forever and ever and ever and ever with him in the perfect world we've always dreamed of. Amen? And God delivers finally from death to life. See, Exodus is a preview of the salvation and resurrection And when the Israelites are brought up out of Egypt, God is saying, there is no amount of human power that can keep me from fulfilling my plan. And when Jesus Christ burst forth from the grave, God has the exact same message. God is saying, there's no amount of human power, not death, not sin, not the grave, not the evil one that can stop me from fulfilling my plan to rescue my people, to deliver them, to set captives free, to forgive their sins, to pay their debt, to set them free. He delivers from death to life. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God, who sent me, have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. Whew! Aren't you glad? You room of filthy sinners that you are, right? 
And you preacher, you sinful preacher standing up here, right? But they've already done what? Passed from what? Death to life. We're forgiven. We pass from death to life when we surrender to Jesus Christ. That's what John Falwell did last week. Maybe we've got sees, God cares. God sees, God cares, I am. He's the answer to every cry of your heart. God calls. He's calling you. Some of you are feeling that call, right? And you see something in the world, something needs to be done about this. God says, I know. That's what I've been trying to tell you. I put that there. I put that there. And, and don't worry, it ain't about you. I, I, I'll do it. I'm just inviting you to be a part of it. And God delivers. He delivers. You, you know, every week we have this time after the word, after the word and worship where we respond and you know and and i hope we as a church right respond you know that you know we're called to be deliverers right it's a hurting world out there i mean i can bury my head in first world problem upper middle class you know albemarle county america right and think everything is awesome and fine but it's not there's a lot of, there's broken homes broken marriages there's young people who grew up in homes where they're just beat down and told they're worthless their whole life, and no one's telling them they believe, that they believe in them, that they can be something different, that it doesn't have to be that way, you know, and, and God is asking us, and whatever God's put on your heart, man, just go out and do it, right, and, and, and trust that he'll go with you. If you're today and you want to talk about what it means and how, how, do, I, how do I surrender to Christ, or maybe you need to re-surrender to him, and you want to just come up here and they're doing our time of response and just want to kneel and pray and say, God, I'm, I, I, God, I'm coming back to you with everything I got because I need you. I don't have all the answers, but I know the answer, and the answer is I am. You know, and every week we take communion in response. And you, you see, when that death, when death passed over Egypt, it passed over the Israelites because they were faithful and they did what God told them to do. God told them to sacrifice a lamb and, and, and take the blood and apply it to the doorframe which is basically the shape of a cross, and then death would pass over them. And for hundreds of years, right, they celebrate the Passover, where because they did what God said, because of the blood of the Lamb, they were passed over, you know. And, and Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, right, death, separation from God, you know, condemnation for sin, it passes over us. And he instituted a meal for us, right? It's not the Passover meal that they did because Christ is the Passover lamb. I was always pointing to him. And at these various stations, we have this little cracker. You know, it's just a cracker. Pretty small. And we have this cup. You know, but it represents the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, your Lord and Savior. It represents the love of the Father. In just a minute, you have the opportunity to just go and partake of that. By yourself, sit on the floor, maybe huddle up with your family. Also, we have our box for offering over there. And that's where you can just, you know, you know put your money in there. You know, because, you know, the, we want to have the, enough resources, right? To see more people in the kingdom of heaven. And it's our way of saying, God, I want to see more people in the kingdom of heaven. 
God, you bless me and I'm giving back to you. And I can never give you enough to pay you back, but I don't have to pay you back. I'm saying thank you for what you did. And let me be a part of this incredible thing that you're doing. Would you stand and pray with me? God, we love you. And, and God, I pray that right now, every, every way, Holy Spirit, you want us to respond. And maybe it's just heartfelt communion. Maybe it's in that gift we're going to drop in the offering box. Maybe it's we just want to come up here and pray. Sit where we are and meditate. God, I thank you for the freedom that we have in you. And I thank you for the blood of the Lamb. And I thank you for the call that you put on our hearts in the equipping, in the going with us that you always do. In Jesus' name, amen.